I'd like to draw your attention to three things. First off, the Black Lives Matter movement. Secondly, the United States Department of Defense. And finally, the results of the 2020 presidential election in the United States. First, Black Lives Matter. See, there's a distinction that is useful to be made when we talk about Black Lives Matter. See, there's a more centralized organization called Black Lives Matter, which was started by Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors, and Opal Tamate. They coined the term Black Lives Matter in response to the ruling that set George Zimmerman free. He's the fellow who killed young Trayvon Martin. So they began to organize, and their organizing and their work inspired a larger decentralized movement known as Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter as a movement emerged essentially as a call to conscience to combat systemic violence against our black brothers and sisters. It emerged to emphasize their humanity and demand reform as it relates to police brutality and other forms of violence being perpetuated on the black community. Protests erupted all over the country in response to the lack of accountability in law enforcement. There's unfortunately an endless list of unarmed black bodies that have perished in this struggle, which at the end of the day is a man-made epidemic. Next, I'd like to draw your attention to the United States Department of Defense. The mission of the Department of Defense is to provide the military forces needed to deter and win wars and to protect the security of our country, its people, and our allies as well. The departments of the Army, the Navy, which also includes the Marine Corps, and the Air Force, all report to the Department of Defense. The outgoing President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, requested the Secretary of Defense, who oversees the Department of Defense, to dispatch our own troops, American troops, into American cities to suppress Americans as they exercise their right to organize and protest against injustice as it relates to the Black Lives Matter movement. The president was attempting to use our military against our own people. The Secretary of Defense at that time was Mark Esper. He declined this order from the president. He did not dispatch troops to suppress Americans' rights to protest and organize. After the election, he was fired for being disobedient to the president. On November 7th, 2020, Joe Biden was projected to be the 46th president of the United States. And this projection was made after he won the state of Pennsylvania, which gave him the needed 270 electoral votes to secure the victory over the incumbent, President Trump. To date, more than 77 million Americans voted for Joe Biden. However, close to 72 million Americans voted for Donald J. Trump. See, and there are people who think that those of us who supported the removal of President Trump should meet supporters of President Trump halfway in an effort to heal this country. No thank you. No thank you. And let me let me tell you why. We need, we need healing. We need to find common ground in ways. But we do not meet halfway. <laughs> we do not meet halfway. See, we can talk about issues all day long and find common ground on issues. As an example, I once facilitated a meeting between an organization of Democrats, an organization of Republicans, 
in an LGBTQ advocacy organization when I lived in North Carolina. The issue at hand was whether or not people of North Carolina should vote for a statewide ban on same-sex marriage. At the end of the day, the three entities agreed that the state should not adopt a ban on same-sex marriage. The Republican organization largely opposed same-sex marriage. The Democrat organization and the LGBT organization, which were more closely aligned, largely supported same-sex marriage. So they didn't agree on same-sex marriage. In fact, the Republicans disagreed with same-sex marriage largely based on their Christian beliefs and values. And it's not to say that they were the only Christians in the room. There were Christians in the LGBT organization and Christians in the Democrat organization. That might have a different perspective on them. However, the, the, the Republicans, they believed marriage to be a religious covenant, overwhelmingly. And they believed the government should stay out of in the institution of marriage altogether. So they shouldn't put a, a ban on marriage. The Democrat organization and the LGBT organization, they supported same-sex marriage. But it wasn't so much about combating anyone's religious beliefs. It was about affording those people who didn't share those beliefs certain rights. They also understood the importance of religious liberty and not infringing on that in order to force people to adopt policies that conflict with their long-held beliefs. See, regardless of your sentiments on this issue of same-sex marriage, this is just an example of how people can come together with different perspectives on issues and find a common ground. But here's the thing. (laughs) Meeting halfway and finding common ground in this current state as it relates to Donald Trump. How do you come to common ground with people who, regardless of the various reasons and intent for them voting for the president, they were apparently okay with voting for a president who would use our military on our own people to suppress their basic rights to organize and protest against violence toward black bodies. Is it a blind acceptance of misinformation that creates what appears to be an insurmountable wall between us? Regardless, I simply refuse to meet someone halfway that is complacent in the suppression of my black brothers and sisters, whether that be my wife, whether that be my child, whether that be family, whether that be people in my community, people of my many, many close friends in my circle. See, we have a long way to go, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they're not going to solve this. And to this day, we're not done. The president is currently refusing to concede the election. See, race in this country was created not to make sense, but to make power. Racism is so deeply embedded in this country. It is foundational to this country. We have generations upon generations of failed race relations. And what I would say is systemic white supremacy that is embedded in our country in so many ways. We have a long, long way to go. (laughs) But... This is America. 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 Welcome to Red the White Boy. Look at my African American over here. Look at him. Are you the greatest? Do you know what I'm talking about? When Mexico sends its people 
episode of Red the White Boy. I'm your host, Red. Join us as we explore the racial realities of everyday Americans in an effort to build bridges of racial equity. As I said, my name is Red. Call me Dub, too. Call me whatever name you want to call me. Um, anyway, join me here episode after episode as we uh, either continue or start or maybe enhance your journey to explore the complexities of race, racism, race relations, and related issues. Uh, the purpose of this show isn't so much to just to intellectually engage issues of race, because what I don't want to do is over-intellectualize the lived experience of other people. You know, really, this is about cultivating a culture of anti-racism. You know, a large target audience for this show is going to be my white brothers and sisters, but if you're not white, you're more than welcome to listen in. Give me some feedback. You know, feel free to reach out if you want. I can be reached at red the white boy at gmail.com and you can find me on Twitter at red the white boy I made it pretty easy for y'all huh so anyway um, I look forward to having an opportunity to just kind of walk with you talk with you we're going to explore a variety of different issues and I wanted to kind of give you maybe a little bit of an idea of what to expect on this show at least where I'm at right now and also to think about um, maybe like what led to me wanting to even do this show. You know, at the end of the day, I am somebody who is deeply committed to the struggle of racial justice. Um, a lot of that comes from my background. I was born and raised half of my childhood in the city of Detroit. So born in and raised in half my childhood in a black city as a white boy and then moved out of Detroit moved around to different rural and suburban outskirts of Detroit and Flint and navigated through communities that were overwhelmingly white, that most had anti-black sentiments in particular and were resistant to people of color in general, resistant to difference in a lot of ways. And so I saw a lot of that cultivated in these white communities. And through my journey... I have always been a Detroiter. I, you know, Detroit has always been home. This is the city that made me. This is the city that that I love. This is is quintessentially of who who I am. And, you know, Detroit as a quintessentially black city, you know, that had a large influence on my life. And so as I'm navigating through some of these different communities, I always had my brothers and sisters back in Detroit in mind when I was experiencing a lot of things and it, I had a deep desire to work in some capacity to bridge those divides 
and not just to bridge the, the divide so that you know a white person and a black person can talk and not fight one another but to think about what it means in terms of equity you know i had experiences like being in detroit k through 5 and not being able to take my textbooks home because we didn't have that much resources in our schools and then moving to in fifth grade moving to a white school an elementary and you know being able to take books home and having computers in the class and things like this this was in the 80s you know so um, that's just an example one example of some of the inequity that I that I experienced so I saw this division that existed in my life and I saw how that shortchanged my peers back in Detroit. And so I always wanted to be a part of bridging that divide for the purpose of us finding common ground and being able to work together. And I also saw during this time how my black brothers and sisters were excluded um, socially, culturally, financially, a lot of ways from a lot of these white communities. I watched as an example where I went to high school in Fenton, Michigan, just literally a handful of black brothers and sisters come into the school and most didn't stay. And they experienced a lot of anti-black racism. I remember very, very, very vividly some of those experiences observing those. Uh, me being from Detroit, I naturally gravitated to the black brothers and sisters who came to the school. I mean, literally it was black brothers really because I, I only remember two black girls that went to my high school and I think that they only went to our high school for maybe a couple of weeks. I don't remember them being there for very long. And and I remember countless experiences that the black boys that went to my school, which was literally, I think at one time, you know, at, at any time there would only be like two in the entire school. And they're pretty big schools and it was, you know, close to a thousand students in the school. So very, very different environment and very hostile environment. And, um, you know, when I went off to college, I ended up uh, going into sociology and focusing on race and ethnic relations and going into graduate school, getting my master's in sociology, focusing on systemic and institutionalized racism, largely because I wanted to I wanted to learn about what I lived amongst and what I was living amongst. Like I learn about the world and how I fit into it and, and kind of equip myself with training and knowledge and wisdom to be able to better understand the complexities of all that and, and maybe, you know, do something to help make that better in that regard. And, you know, that led me down a road of doing a lot of community activism. You know, I had an awakening when I was in college where I stopped, you know, getting high, you know what I mean? <laughs> and and I, I, I started to drink less. Now I don't drink at all. I don't get high at all. I don't do any of that stuff anymore. But but in college, you know, I you know, I was I was up in smoke for a period of time and I had an awakening and started to get involved with some activism on campus and in the community. And that was probably in about two thousand and three. So that was a good seventeen years ago. And, and and it just you know, I made a commitment at that time. You know, I made a commitment to God that I was going to be committed to racial justice and, and to, 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 to what I later would understand as edifying the body of Christ. But not even just the body of Christ because, I, you know, it's not that I, I want to see that exist within my faith, but I also I want to see it exist within the world in general, even among those who don't 
share my faith. And, uh, you know, so I've, so I've been involved in a lot of things over the years. You know, I've got involved in a variety of different community organizing efforts. You know, I was, a, you know, um, some community organizing to address the, um, the, the history of Indian boarding school policy, addressing racial inequity as it related to students of color at Central Michigan University, you know, uh, being involved with the NAACP, a state official, coordinating get out the vote efforts and, you know, political action chair out there helping to defend affirmative action and other equal opportunity um, um, initiatives. Doing a variety of different things, you know, building a, um, a, a biased and hate response system in Isabella County. Um, creating a variety of things um, in terms of helping the retention and recruitment of students of color in college universities and, and, and building people's racial consciousness and cultural competency. So, I, you know, I could go through a whole list of, of, of resume, but that, that, that's not really what I'm here to do right now. But I'm just kind of giving you some background in terms of where, where I'm coming from. Um, as a follower of Christ, this is something that I feel is a calling of mine. As a brother of Phi Beta Sigma, Blue Phi to the Bros, you know, this is an obligation um, in terms of being um, a part of that brotherhood and a part of the Divine Nine in general. This is what we do. You know what I mean? We, we, we advocate, we uplift, and we support the black community, whether or not you're black or not. And a lot of my desire to be a part of that brotherhood and be a part of that collective had to do with a pre-existing commitment that goes back to my experience being a young kid from Detroit. So there's a lot of things that 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 relate to my interest in this on top of being, you know, in an interracial marriage, married to a black woman, having a a, a daughter who is black with a biracial black background and, you know, and watching her grow. So, you know. I have some very, very personal reasons for wanting to be engaged in this work. But beyond just me personal and in, in my experience, you know, I feel a higher calling to be um, engaged for the purposes of, of essentially carrying, helping carry the burden, sharing the burden of particularly our black brothers and sisters. But again, I don't want to say that to exclude other people of color, but that, you know, that's, that's an area where I'm going to probably focus on more often than not. So, so I would expect that with this podcast, what I hope to do is just give you, uh, or, or bring you a variety of perspective and insight coming from my mind, from my observations, from my walk, but also what I'm going to do is connect with different brothers and sisters to have discussions related to topics associated with race, racism, race relations, oppression, and, and what we can do on the ground level on a day-to-day basis to equip ourselves to, to continue. I'm going to say to continue to move in the right direction because I do believe that as a country we're moving in the right direction, but it's hard to see that sometimes. You know, As an example, right now we're, we're living in very divisive times, politically, culturally, socially, racially, very divisive in this country. Ain't nothing new for a lot of people. You know, that's, that's not new. It's just more, more overt. You know, we have a, a, a president now that is going to be an outgoing president, um, although he hasn't conceded the election yet, um, who um, really you know, empowered a lot of closet racists 
to be bold and step out and say things that they would otherwise probably not say in public. And you see that it's rampant. We can get rid of the president, but but right now there's 71, 72 million people who voted for that president. And I get that there are distinctly different political reasons why somebody might not vote for a Democrat or specifically might not vote for Joe Biden. You know, there's certain things where for some reason people can compartmentalize certain things that Donald Trump does in terms of dehumanizing people and say, I'm, I'm going to vote for him for this one or two issues over here or the economy or, you know, or, or same-sex marriage or abortion or something like that, you know. It, it, I struggle with that, you know what I mean? Um, it, it, it angers me, <laughs> you know. It, it, I don't think that there's a lack of not understanding. I just, I don't agree with the logic. And and we'll, we'll explore that, you know. As, as I've kind of tipped the iceberg, you know, we got to the tip of the iceberg with that with that opening piece of this show. But, you know, we're, we're going to have a, a good time, I guess a good time as much as we can, given the topic is very tense, you know. So I, I hope that you all will join me and I will bring you episode after episode. I, I will promise you that it will be well thought. It will be, you know, for those of you who know me as an activist, as a community advocate, as a follower of Christ, you know that I'm passionate about what I'm passionate about. <laughs> I'm very passionate, and and I will speak truth to power. I am not, you know, w- one of the things that will probably happen with this show that isn't my intention, but it will happen, and I am comfortable with it happening, is that a lot of my white brothers and sisters are going to be uncomfortable. They're going to listen to these episodes, and y'all are, are not going to feel comfortable there are going to be some of you who, you know, I'm going to get a coded or a blurred version of basically calling me a race traitor. I'm I'm cool with that. Like I've been through that, you know what I mean? I've I've been through the worst in that area. You know, being followed by neo-Nazis and getting phone calls and nasty messages, things like that. Like I've been through that. You're not really going to shake me in regards to that. Um, I am I am very, very solid and firm and standing in God's word in the work that I'm doing. And so that's not going to be shaken. Uh, but just know that at the end of the day, the reason that I'm actually engaging in putting this show together is it's not because I like to hear myself talk. I don't necessarily like to hear myself talk. It's not that I I shouldn't say I don't like to, you know, but that's not the reason why I'm doing this show. I, I have heard time and time again from people whose perspective that I dearly value that I have a unique and important voice as it relates to the issue of race and inequality in this country. And I'm a firm believer that when people call you to leadership, when when people call you to that place, that that you really have to give it a lot of thought because there might be a calling on your life. When when I have countless people telling me that, I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I say that just as a matter of fact of 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 why I'm engaged. That that God blessed me with certain experience in my life and a certain set of eyes, a certain set of ears, a certain heart, a certain soul that has allowed me and afforded me a certain experience that I'm willing to share, very open and willing to share. And it seems 
based off of the feedback that I get, that I'm not looking for, but I get it, that it edifies people. It affirms a lot of people. It helps equip a lot of people. And honestly, in the process, in the process of me sharing and putting this stuff together, I learn a lot as well. I continue to learn. Sometimes I'll go back and I'll listen to lectures that I did as an instructor and I'll make corrections based off of cringeworthy things that I said. So this helps me to continue to grow. And I look forward to bringing people on this show and having conversations with people on this show who are going to continue to equip me as a white anti-racist, as somebody who is dedicated to combating racism, starting internally, working interpersonally, and then making sure that we're not forgetting, and most importantly, the institutional, the structural, the systemic issues that exist in our country and using our influence to see what we can do to better that situation. So, so I look forward to bringing you these episodes. Join me. But let's go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we'll have a little bit of a conversation. All right, y'all. Welcome back to Red the White Boy. Um, we're going to shift uh, segments here. I have the uh, pleasure, the opportunity, and the honor to have um, two people who are near and dear to me. Uh, my fraternity brother, my best friend, you know what I mean? My ace, my sans, Jason Charles Lewis. Ooh, his, not his whole government. Hold on, wait. whole government. <laughs> I got people looking for me, man. Come on now. Just for me, don't, don't do all that. I'm and, and, then, and, then, and then Queen K. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, well, thank you. You know, like I told you already, um, first and foremost, thank you. You know, I just wanna wanted to, you know, thank you for your willingness to, to come on the show and have this conversation. I know that, um, you know, a lot of these conversations are conversations that a lot of us have on a regular basis. So it ain't no thing. And we've had conversations about this as well, but you know, to come on a show and have a public conversation about sometimes a conversation that could be pretty vulnerable and particularly uh, on a show called Red the White Boy, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're coming in and sharing some vulnerable things about your own experience, you know what I mean? Um, I just I just really appreciate y'all taking the time out to do that. So I, I wanna honor that and thank you. And welcome to the inaugural episode of Red the White Boy. How y'all doing tonight? Doing good, good. I'm so thankful uh, because I got married. I married into this relationship. This was here long before I got here, so I feel I feel loved, <laughs> I feel appreciated. He said two people, not just one, that are near and dear to his heart. I feel loved. Hey, no and, doubt. And with that, anytime, my brother, anytime. Yeah, yeah, anytime. no doubt. Well, you know, when I when I decided to actually lift off this podcast, you know, I thought it was really important just to um, to not engage this conversation on race, racism, race relations in a, like a, in an intellectual way, but I really wanted to personalize it and talk about the experiences of, of everyday Americans, you know what I mean? And I wanted to make it personal for me. So if I wanted to kind of model that behavior in, 
in in the show you know it made sense for me to start off you know with folks that are that are near and dear to me so so um thank you uh for joining me and i go let's go ahead and just start off why don't you for the sake of our our listeners um share who are you where are you from and for the sake of the listeners uh you know how you identify racially since it's relevant to the conversation well he gave you a full government so you can go first <laughs> well i am uh jason lewis um, i'm originally from detroit michigan um, I attended Central Michigan University with Shaw, and I, I identify as African American. I do have. And he black. That's I'm, what he said. I'm black as hell. Uh, I do have. I, I, I do have. I, I do have a level there. of racial mix in my family, but, but I am black. Yeah, you get that there. <laughs> um, I'm Kay. Um, originally from Southwest Michigan, so not Detroit. Um. And I'm living in California, so have experienced uh, racism on any coast, apparently. Um, and then uh, I, I joke and tell people I was raised by white folks. I'm biracial. Um, my mother and the family that I spent the most time with throughout my childhood are white. Um, and the people that I'm closest to now are my dad and my dad's family, and they're black. Right, all right. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I wanted to talk with you all today and uh, will be um, obvious to our listeners because they would have listened to, you know, a certain uh, amount of uh, dialogue or monologue really um, prior to this, uh, this discussion is related to the election, uh, related to the, the Trump era of the Trump presidential era, I'll say. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, from from your experience, how has this whole Trump era and let's say going back to him announcing his candidacy and everything leading up to him being the president and and, and through his his term, how has this impacted you? How has it impacted your family and, and those close to you? So I think one stress levels cannot be we don't count stress levels as part of health but i just feel like the stress has increased greatly because i think i am more now than ever scared to go places by myself just as a black person i'm like because i know that people who agree with him have felt emboldened um additionally like my my so i just i just said i was raised by white folks so like i have i've come to the conclusion about like there are certain just things that i can't talk about with my family anymore and and i don't i don't blame trump for that like that's an excuse right like i don't necessarily blame him for that but like him being in office has definitely exacerbated those relationships like i definitely like it has definitely made those wounds much bigger and much deeper on top of you know the struggle we were already gonna have to have when it came to me realizing like the things that had happened in my life that that didn't make me feel good about being black and then like outside of my family like my job has gotten i i personally think harder um i'm i'm a teacher and so watching kids like i'm a high school teacher at that so my kids are really doing critical thinking right now and watching them have to struggle with like y'all tell us to be good human beings and this is what we're this is what y'all give us right. um has been hard too <laughs> because it's not y'all like i didn't vote for that right but like 
And that's so I have to ground a lot of my work in like, y'all need to be better adults than the ones that we have right now. And I don't want to do that because I'm an adult. Like I want to, I want to talk about how bomb we are, but I can't because that's not what takes up a lot of space. I mean, I can't as often because that's not what takes up, you know, space in their brains because what they can see on their social media or whatever. Because we all know that at the very beginning, no one took his candidacy even seriously. And when the election day happened, like we all had like a very weird pill to swallow that this is kind of the, 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 this is the kind of nation that we're going to be in for, for a little bit. And we could kind of have, we had an idea of exactly what was going to be kind of going on just from the way he was campaigning and everything that he was spewing while he was campaigning. So after the final votes were tallied and he was considered the winner, like kind of just like Van Jones, Jones mm-hmm. had kind of stated, we had to have an awkward conversation with our daughter. Yeah. Like we had to have that conversation. Like this is kind of like, we don't know what's going to happen, you know, in the future and how interesting is it that literally four years later, we're where we are as a country and like not even COVID related. Like, cause that's like, I don't even think like COVID was going to come regardless, but when it, but when it comes to just how emboldened everyone is now, like as we speak, there are people in our, in our own neighborhood that will scream at us while we're doing some, something as simple as walking our dog. Damn, you came straight out the gate with it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Like it's like, and, and it's not even just, I mean, it's not even really just that it's, it's, it's the, it's the, 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 the culture that, that, that was created. It's, it's the culture that was already there, but him being in office made, made, it, worse. made it even worse, made a lot of people who feel like they was, who felt like they were losing the country. Okay. To really say what they felt. And I am, and I believe in, be 100 and speak what's on your heart. But also at the same time, if it's going to like, if what you feel is, 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 is hate covered up with fear. You can keep that. Like you can keep that where you have it. Right. You know, I think there's, there's additional context to like our experience because like when, when Donald Trump was elected president, we were not in a place where it was either majority black or majority white people. Like we, and we were like quite alone, I guess you could say, because we were in a city that we hadn't, we had just moved there recently. Like he got elected the year that we moved to California. And so we were in a place where we didn't know what the backlash was going to be. Like we, and we lived in a town that was mostly filled with people of color, but like, a whole other conversation about this is the way that he has marketed himself himself to people of color that we don't need to get into because it quite frankly it makes me sick but like so watching people of color support him was also just really hard especially like realizing some of the things that he's done like even in this um race hearing about how he advertised against joe biden in ways that like made people particularly in in florida like mm-hmm. fearful because of dictators that they fled from. Like he related right. them and his, he related Joe Biden and his policies to that. And it was just like, to, to know that there's nobody correcting that, like to know that that is actually like factually incorrect 
and to to know that that's just what that's what people are getting is just it's scary and it's scary for way more than just because trump was president yeah yeah no doubt and it's it's uh you know i remember for our listeners who wouldn't know obviously has read the white boy i'm a white boy but i'm married to a black woman and um we have a daughter but when trump was elected uh you know our daughter wasn't here yet and but we were in the process of planning and i remember the morning after he was elected i remember sitting up in bed and um looking at my phone and seeing the results and uh us having a serious conversation about <laughs> you know we ain't that far from canada <laughs> you know and it wasn't and, and and you know we joke about it but like like you know, but it, but, but it was serious, it's a serious conversation. You know what I mean? Like I, I've got a former supervisor that lives in Toronto. That's, you know, that, uh, <laughs> you know, she said, if, if y'all are ready, you know, <laughs> let me know. I could tell you about the process, but, but it was serious like that. Cause like you said, I, when it wasn't, I think people misconstrue it as it's not a political difference. You know, I don't care if you're Republican, I don't care if you're conservative. I think, I think that those perspectives have their value at the table, you know, at their politically ideological roots not what it's become you know what i mean there's some other things that i struggle with i think when you start peeling back the layers of it you know what i mean that we can get into some some stickiness you know what i mean but i think that having that perspective at the table is useful just simply for the fact that so many people have those perspectives but i think trump and what he stands for and his followers you know what i mean what they're guided by with him i think that's a whole another thing or a whole another wing of conservatism when it comes to kind of social and cultural conservatism within the context of the u.s that uh you know i think it's 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 not just about you know quote unquote liberals being snowflakes like you said there's a legitimate concern people have for their health and their safety and i think coming directly off of the election part of it in my mind was Okay, maybe this was just, you know what I mean? Because Republicans have been playing that game for a long time, the dog whistles. You know what I mean? That wasn't nothing new. He just kind of exacerbated it. (laughs) And, you know, but um, so I thought, okay, now the campaign season's done. Let's see what happens. And then right off the bat, you know what I mean? It was just a lot of racist, xenophobic, you know, kind of policies that were starting to, you know, hit the ground running right off the bat, you know what I mean? So, you know, so I have questioned, you know, related to that, because now where we're at right now, Joe Biden is president-elect, even though to to this day, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that orange Muppet hasn't conceded um, the presidency yet, right? He hasn't conceded the election, but Joe Biden's going to be, you know, the next president of the United States. And a lot of people are saying, they're suggesting, they're, they're acknowledging, obviously, that we're very divided as a nation, right? But they're, they're, there's a lot of suggestions that those of us um, who supported the removal of President Trump should find common ground with those who supported President Trump. And uh, I'm just wondering, like, what does that mean to you is is it even is it even realistic? And do you feel like do you have to sacrifice? If you were to do that, do you feel like you have to sacrifice anything in doing that? Um, no, I'm gonna let you go first because then I'm gonna tell you why you got me messed up. Uh, okay, <laughs> this is kind of where Kate, 
K yep. and I kind of different. You gotta know your wife's name on fit on <laughs> recorded. Um, because I understand I can see a reason why a person would vote for Trump without agreeing with anything that he would that he had brought to the nation because one of the primary things that he one of the things that he did bring well i can't even say he necessarily even brought it but one of the things that um i guess we would call him president-elect biden had had stated was that the tax rate was going to be higher way higher for people who make over 400k that's not something we got to worry about but for some people who do who literally makes that baseline of 400k then it wouldn't affect them then it wouldn't affect them that's the problem go ahead i'm sorry this is just my my i know but what you're saying what you're saying actually doesn't make sense because the baseline of 400k it was taxed at 60 percent for anything after 400k so if i make 400k a year Okay, well, I'm done. I'm cool. But I'm saying so either way, it you're not want to give. You do not want to give up sixty. What? What? What's the like sixty percent? Sixty percent of that for everything after that, which means you got enough, fam. And I understand that there are greedy people in the world. Like I get it. But at the same time, you can't want a better climate. You can't want a better society and not give a little. I know, and so, I understand that. I don't, I, so I don't understand because folks are like, I just want to be left alone. I want my government to stay out of my business and I want all of these things. And like, so, so do I, quite honestly. But I can't if I ain't got nothing and you got extra over there that you don't need. And I understand people being like, oh, I worked for it. Like, but, but did you really? But did you really? Like, if we look back over time, there is a level of work for it that you did, absolutely. And then there's a level of inheritance that you got. Mm-hmm. And I can speak as somebody who knows that I'm going to have some sort of inheritance. Well, maybe not, because my grandma told me I spent it all, which to get through college, which is wild, but okay. <laughs> like, but like in, in that sense, like it, I wouldn't, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand. I, I can't understand because too many people have died and gone unnoticed. Too many people's mm-hmm. lives have been ended. And I'm not even just talking about black folks. Like we can talk about the white people that were killed in protests against this man. Mm-hmm. That he was like, oh, it was fine. There were good people on both sides or whatever. Like it's, there's too, too many lives have been lost and too many different, like different communities have been affected by like just the bad interactions that have come from him being in the mo- the highest office ever mm-hmm. and saying all Mexicans are rapists. Yes. When I taught at a school that was 98.2% Mexican. Right. Like being able having to go sit in that space and look at my babies, like look at kids because kid like I don't sure we have bad adults, sure. But even like in the justice system is a whole conversation for a whole different podcast. But in terms of like there's there's correction like you've let so much out of a bottle now that we just can't get back in there like we can't go back to a time when i didn't know if the white person next to me thought that i was a mongrel that needed to be put out of her misery you know what i mean like I, you can't i can't we can't put that back in a bottle like now whenever i go somewhere i'm scared mm-hmm. 
No, but you but you bring up you bring up an important point. I think that needs to be considered. You know, when people so so on one hand, like I think that it is clear that there are plenty of people who might have said that they voted for him for this reason or that reason, right? It might be financial. It might have been you know abortion. It might have been you know this, that, or the other thing, right? So some people might have voted for him because he could appoint a Supreme Court justice and he was going to do one that was pro-life, et cetera, right? But that aside, what he brought to the table, right, and the culture that he nurtured and that he enabled and that he put a fire on, right, you're enabling that. And so I, I struggle personally. I say I say there's no me, there's no common ground when it comes to meeting people who are supporters of Trump. I say that if we want to focus on some issues, right? Like there are issues, specific issues where we can find common ground or some understanding on issues. <laughs> but when it comes to you know, folks who are just diehard supporters of him, you know what I mean? And and, and what's going on now, I, I really struggle with that. And I don't see that as realistic because I think that a, a lot of people have to sacrifice a significant amount um, of safety, security, humanity, you know? Mm-hmm. that That's exactly like one of the things that keeps, I don't, I don't engage, and I don't engage not because that's the other thing of like how, the system works for people who are oppressed like people who are oppressed within the system have to know what the what the oppressors moves and mindsets are they have to know how people who support trump feel they have to know how people who are against them feel because we are at the disadvantage and so i'm not interested in engaging with somebody who's not willing to see my side because i already know their side not yeah. because not because they're not different than anybody else you know what i'm saying like cuz that sounds like really like people think that that's really arrogant but you have to understand like people don't understand that like it's not even a personal point at this point i have to know what the other side thinks for the protection of my own safety right like they're literally making things up about what black people will and will not do to white folks and i'm not saying that there are not pockets in the community that that believe that um because just like there's pockets of good white folks like i i believe that but i cannot assume what muhammad ali say when he was being interviewed if it's a thousand snakes coming at me and only 100 of them aren't poisonous am i just gonna let them all come and hope that the 100 poison non-poisonous ones get to me no i'm gonna shut the door and walk away like i don't have that kind of time and that includes like that that includes my grandmother in some cases like that includes people that i love dearly but i am not willing to sacrifice my mental health to try to convince you of something that you don't want to see right because i already know the side that you're on because i have to in order to stay safe and that's the thing that i think people miss is like that people who are oppressed in this community have to know in order to stay safe what the other side thinks it's not like we're not assuming we've had to watch because and a lot of times it's, it's gotten our friends killed it's gotten people we love killed or put in prison or you know things of that nature so it's not something that we can just if i know like for instance i will never will never have i did when i was young and not smart i will never talk about donald trump on on social media with you i will never get into a facebook debate with somebody who wants to hear my side of the story on social, I absolutely will not. Because I know that at that point, 
one, you can't read what I'm saying. Like you can't read what I'm actually saying. You can read the words that I put down, but you can't read the emotion behind it. And I know my communication style is not meant to be put into words because if I just put it on words, I'm gonna offend you. Right. If I get to sit across from you and have a conversation and explain, like, I say this out of love, like I say this out of my own protection, out of my own, you know, safety and security and the security of my family and the world that I want my child to live in. Like we could have that face to face because then somebody could know my heart. You can't know my heart through a screen. And I'm not because honestly, at that point, I don't know your heart either. And now I'm coming at it offensive, you know, on the offense. And I just don't need to do that. And so if we talking about, uh, you know, a Facebook coming together? Absolutely not. I'm not interested in that. I don't want to be invited to that table. <laughs> but, but I mean, if people are like, I want to understand, I want to understand, you know, your thoughts. I want to understand your views, which quite frankly, nobody's ever done to me. Then, then, I, then I would be willing to sit down and, and have that conversation. I'm not in the business though of somebody trying to catch me up right like well tell me why i don't i don't have to tell you why because i know what your response is going to be i'm actually not going to waste my time here yeah 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 i was i I, i've largely avoided conversations about that on facebook that particular i mean i do get into a lot of interesting conversations on facebook but you do uh, recent recently i had recently i had a conversation with somebody that uh yeah, I more or less, uh, he was obvious that, that he supported Trump. He is um, somebody from this community. And I said, uh, he said, you know, if I wanted to understand um, where he came from, that he was, he was more than willing to, you know, to talk. He was asked me some questions. I said, I don't, the thing is, is that I'm not confused. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, right. so to a certain extent, like I get, I get where you were coming from with, with what what Jason was saying, but I also understand. I, I understand what Jason. I think what you were saying in terms of you understand the logic, even if you disagree with it. Yes. Uh, why I somebody? I, I understand the yeah. logic of a person voting for him, rather right. than you know some people vote directly for that party, like no matter what. Right. Right. So I understand that aspect. Now, when it comes to to having like a giant conversation about everything, nah. then that lets me know that you're not necessarily like, like with the, the thing that sucks about a, I can't even say it sucks, but the thing that's interesting about a Trump vote is that you're literally, is that if a person is voting for their, either their financial, I guess, quote unquote, well-being or their, or for religious reasons, that's like that's still having a blind eye to what's happening right, right. which is why so, i can't get past it so, so right, yeah I struggle that, with like i so i under i personally i do totally understand why a person would out on the outside say oh no this is a terrible thing and this is terrible the country is going to absolute hell everything is not right but when you get in the voters booth by yourself you're going to vote for your own interest yeah. And I can't understand a person coming in and doing but that. I personally do not like it. I do not like it. I feel that you should go in and vote for the interest of everyone around you. But I can also see why a person would do it. Yeah, for that, yeah. you know, yeah. so so um, I don't want to come off as like kind of confusing because I can, I can just see both sides of the of, of I can see both sides of the table. Here. You a better human than me. <laughs> I mean, I and I, I, I mean, I feel you on that. Like I, I like 
I understand the logic and I just fundamentally disagree with it. What I said to this fella, I said, like, you don't need to explain me your perspective. You're, you're conservative. You've been conserving the same ideas for generations. <laughs> like, you know, what, what you believe and your thoughts, you know what I mean, on this particular issue are not new to me. And I'm, and I'm not in a silo necessarily, you know what I mean? I, I, I definitely choose to be around people who have a worldview in a lot of ways that are similar to mine. Um, but that doesn't mean that I can't be around other um, other views. Like similarly, um, I think, in in similarly to UK, like I've had a diverse kind of experience where like I'm originally from Detroit, so I grew up half of my childhood in a black city, but then I grew up the other half of my childhood in white cities that sound similar to maybe what you grew up around like these are like rural and suburban outskirts of Detroit and Flint you know what I mean so I experienced that there it wasn't surprising for me when I started to see people from those communities come out in support of Trump you know what I mean because I understood the environments that they come from and what was kind of reproduced around there you know what I mean and and it was and it's not surprising to me that there's a very anti-black you know what I mean? Anti this, anti that, anti-immigrant, anti, you know, Muslim, all this, those sentiments that are, um, that, that coexist with a lot of those things. So it didn't surprise me. So to him, I said, I, you know, there's nothing really for me to figure out. I don't need to meet you halfway to understand you. I know this, you know, um, I think that you need to, you know, come to it, not even come to the table, you know what I mean? But just need to open up your eyes and ears and particularly hear the hearts of our brothers and sisters who don't look like me and you. Like, you know, I'm talking to him, he's another white guy. And it just seemed, you know, it just seemed like there was a, a huge uh, wave of, of, of apathy that was kind of a huge cloud of apathy that was kind of lingering above him. And, you know, to a certain point, the only reason why I engage those conversations is because honestly, for the same reason why I'm doing, you know, one of the primary reasons why I'm doing this podcast is that brothers and sisters like you have to have these conversations all the time with people who look like me even when you don't want to <laughs> you know what i mean and so for me like for me to be in those spaces as much as i can and and engage those conversations i'm hoping will alleviate the burden of you know other brothers and sisters of, of, of color that are having to explain all this stuff to white folks and and that's not to say that that I've uh, arrived. You know what I mean. I still have to continually do work on myself internally and, and and increase my consciousness in a variety of different ways. You know, so I'm not excusing myself, but I'll say that you know having some of these conversations with folks like it's it's obvious that I've had a certain level of exposure to certain things. You know what I mean that that they didn't they didn't have, and I've been in those communities. You know mm -hmm. where people who look like me grew up their whole life with not only people who look like me, you know what I mean, but certainly don't think like me in terms of being exposed to other communities. And, you know, so that's, that's been one of my, um, you know, struggles as well. It hasn't even been so much people like, like that person that I was engaging, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's actually, you know, quote unquote, good white liberals, you know what I mean? White folks who actually mean well. Yeah. It's, it's usually, good white liberals and that's not to say that they aren't trying to be good it's the difference between like intent versus impact right like what my intention is in trying to come into this space and understand 
what the struggles are versus the impact that my actions have, right? And so um, I completely understand what you're saying. And I think the reason that it's so important for you to continue to have these conversations is because there is, while there is emotional investment for you because of the people that you know and the people that you care about that are not white, like there is not a personal danger in those conversations in those conversations for you the way there can't like i have been bum rushed and asked about things in a professional setting before and like i can't give you an answer that's not going to put me that's not going to jeopardize my job as a person who's black talking to a white lady about right you know what i mean like i can't there's no situation where i'm sitting down with a boss and expressing my discomfort about something that has happened racially here that I have to call somebody out on where I am not concerned for my job, where I'm not concerned for, um, you know, what repercussions are going to come back at me because I'm just trying to survive, right? And then like, and, and all of the, the stereotypes and the things that come with that are, are just, those are things that like you just don't run into you know what I mean like you because people assume that they that you are on quote unquote the same side what they don't realize is that we're all trying to be on the same side but folks literally have looked at us and been like oh you talk about being black too much it makes me uncomfortable I don't want to be in this space with you like that's that's what has happened um can you please can you please set your reality to the side for a minute (laughs) right like can you actually just um focus on the task at hand well the task at hand is actually causing me to compromise my identity for you and and those things have happened like there have been time i have been i've had to meet as a teacher just as a regular teacher with a superintendent and two principals to be told like to tell them about like racial encounters that i've had at a at a in it like in a school setting where something needed to be done. And the only administrator, and this this is, I say this to say it is not just a black white thing. The only administrator in that vicinity was the only black administrator in that meeting looked at me and said that I had missed a teachable moment because I didn't tell somebody about using the N word in my presence. Hmm. Like I didn't correct somebody because I told, I was like, I don't get paid to correct my coworkers. I don't get paid to correct adults. Cause it's not kids. Kids know how to be respectful. They're like, oh, I wouldn't say that to her. She, she, you know, I don't want to try her. But it's the adults. Right. It's the adults that come through with microaggressions on a daily and then be upset when you pop off and now I'm the angry black woman. Right. But you've literally said something disrespectful to me every day for the last 180 days. And I was able to hold it till the end of the year. You know, it's like those types of things that just, so no, I don't, I don't want to sit down with you. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to have a, you've made it unsafe for me to just do my job. Like, I don't, I don't, I have no interest in sitting down anymore. Mm-hmm. And to kind of just follow up with what Kay has said. Thanks. Um, one of the things that I personally kind of had to deal with, um, with, with and just with my job is um, I've had, as I've had clients who, are completely who have been completely dismissive to anything that I've told them, even though things that I've told them has been correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, there was it was one of it was actually one of one of it was a good a really good moment that me and my and my team lead had were, were able to kind of join in on, because um, the second that I added him to the call, the clients attitude immediately changed because now he was talking to the manager because now he was talking to not even just the manager no but like white folks love to call the manager no shade i'm just saying (laughs) and (laughs) and he received things so like from my side 
for for example, inside of our ticketing system, mm-hmm. we have an area mm-hmm. where we can add pictures and have a picture to ourselves. I make a point to not add my picture and just have the default empty because Bro, and that's like everything. That Do you remember we went we like you took your picture off of Airbnb? Mm-hmm. Remember that? Like the, mm-hmm. it's like everything. Like it's not just work. Right. It's everything. And then people are like, do you, do you want to sit down and have a conversation with a Trump supporter? Hell no! Right. I didn't even get an Airbnb without somebody looking at me sideways. Like, the, the one that made you change your picture, there was this lady. Oh, my gosh. There was this lady who, like, we had got to her house that we were staying at for a weekend and asked her about some things. And she was like, don't make a mess. Clean up after yourselves. Like, she was, like, real dis- like it, But it's like that all the time. People are like, well, maybe that has nothing to do with right. Why else? Mm-hmm. Right. If I'm paying to be in your residence and I have said nothing to you, like at one point we were, we texted her because there was some dead flowers in her fridge. <laughs> like we were trying to look out for her. We were like, lady, uh, do you want us to throw these away? <laughs> and she was like, no, just leave them there. That, like, but it was like, you could tell in her tone, it was very like, it, it wasn't even that it was to the point, like the words that she was using, you talked to somebody who majored in English, the words that she were u- was using had a negative connotation. Right. It was like, I am talking down to you. Do not make a mess in my house. Clean up after yourselves. Like, why are you renting out your house if you think that this is yeah. what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it's those scenarios across the board, just in living, yeah. that make you just not want to do it. Like, and, and conversely, as, as a white man navigating this country, you know, um, I can't tell you how many situations I've been in where I was given the benefit of the doubt and I shouldn't have been, you know? Right. Uh, like uh, back in the day, I and mean, this is this proceeds precedes you know uh, me and Jay knowing one another because this is you know more than well we've known each other for a good fifteen plus mm-hmm. years. But um, you know there was a time in my life where I was quite the criminal. <laughs> I was actually quite the criminal. A lot of people don't know about my criminal background. I mean, I I'm surely didn't. Like, I'm discovering new yeah. things. And, but I was, I was quote unquote good at being a criminal because I never got caught. But part of the reason I never got caught is that I was never suspected to be a criminal. Right. You know what I mean? And, and, and I knew that from very early on, you know what I mean? Like I, you know, I remember getting into a situation at, when I was 20, probably 20, 21 years old. And I told the police officer, well, I, I'll just, I'll talk to my uncle. He's a lawyer, you know? I ain't got no, I got oh, no you, lawyer, you know, you got yeah, that yeah, yeah. right, right, right. And, and I didn't, you know, but I knew, you know what I mean? But I knew what that meant to him. You know what I'm saying? But, but I ain't got no, like, I, you know, I think I got a distant uncle that might be a lawyer, you know what I mean? But it, like, there wasn't nobody going to bail me out of that situation, but, but that alone, you know what I mean? And that, you know, without going into the details about that situation, that that had that situation went the wrong way that could have cut off all my financial aid and i would have never gotten my bachelor's degree i would have never gotten a master's degree that part right that you know part. what i mean so it, it 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 you know it it just there's a domino effect to it i i mean i remember i when i was working at, at cmu i walked into a meeting with three colleagues all my superiors one was my supervisor who was the director a black woman one was her supervisor, the associate vice president for institutional diversity, another black woman, and a Native American woman, a director in another office. And we were going into a meeting to talk to the press, right, our student newspaper about racial bias 
in their media coverage and how to work together to provide them the necessary training that could help them be more inclusive and more racially conscious in terms of how they were covering it. Why, when we walked into the room, who did they greet as if of course. Of course. they greeted that's a, me? That's what I thought you were going to say. They, yep. greeted, they greeted me like I was in charge. And I was, and I was by far the lowest person in that situation. You know what I mean? In terms, yeah, and, 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 and I can't tell you how many times that I, so we have these different situations, you know what I mean? Where from those little micro aggressive pieces in the workplace to literally, you know what I mean? Me being able to avoid a criminal record <laughs> because if I go back and think about it now consciously, basically playing into my whiteness to get out of a situation, you know what I mean? Which is, is, is unfortunate that that's even, you know, a dynamic. But let me, let me ask you this, um, because we started talking about white folk who mean well, okay? Mm -hmm. and, 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 I, and, I, and I relate to these folks, because I was in a, and I, and, you know, I was in a place at one point in time where my interest in being more engaged in racial justice and um, racial reconciliation, racial equity, was I meant well, but maybe my premise for doing it wasn't the best reason, right? That, you know, what, from your perspective, like in this current climate, where do you think though, and we're talking about those white folks who, who mean well, you know what I mean? Where can they best spend their time as it relates to race relations in this country at this current time? You know, I think I've been doing a lot of, so the other thing that I do, let me say this, is it like how I got there. Um, on social media, I intentionally follow people who are not like me. I intentionally follow people who are trying to educate people like me on how to be better people and whatever, because it's not like we're talking about race, but like if we want to talk about like the intersectionality of society, like race is like a, a drop in the bucket compared to like all of the different things, right? That people are discriminated against um, on a daily basis for, right? So that would be one thing is like expand your bandwidth like expand your your visual like what can you see but also that doesn't mean that like you need to ask those those people to do your emotional labor of like well why do i feel this way like yeah. this because what's gonna happen and and i will say that um um i had a sort of i had to do a lot of my own person like individualized work right mentally and emotionally to understand where I'm like, why I feel the way I feel now, right? Like I did not come out of my parents' house at 18 um, feeling this way, right? Like there were still, I had a lot of, of views that were anti-Black and that were not um, in support of like people in the community in general, let alone Black people. And so one of the biggest things is like listening, listening and sitting with the disc, like, sitting with discomfort and I say that like I still get uncomfortable about things that I feel like I'm not doing well that don't have anything necessarily to do with blackness but have a lot to do with evaluating how I'm treating folks who are differently able than I am or folks who um, have a different um, sexual orientation than I am folks who are part of the LGBTQ community that I'm not aware of you know the oppression that they're facing because I don't I don't know that part of the story right like and so like listening to understand and not to react and and keeping and like continuing to listen even when you're when it feels like they're talking about you 
Yeah. In fact, yeah. like, especially when it feels like they're talking about you, that's like the best time to let, especially if it's a podcast, because since they don't know you, right. they don't know you at all. Right. But if it, if it hits you in your gut, that means you can learn something from it no because then like, then you can unpack like why you're feeling that way. And I think the other thing is like to be well-meaning does not, does not mean that like you're being nice all the time, like nice and well-meaning aren't the same thing. And so I think that the thing, like, one, there's lots of white folks who are talking to white folks, just like you're doing. Like, I have friends out here who are doing the same thing, not necessarily podcasting, but they're, like, blogging and they're, you know, holding webinars and, and you know, doing Zoom meetings and, like, especially now with the world, with the world being closed the way that it is for us, like, if you if it's something that you're, you know, interested in, like open your computer and look for them. Yeah. Look yeah. for those, those openings to talk, quite frankly, to talk to other white folks, like not because what tends to happen, I, I'll speak for myself. And I think part mm -hmm. of the reason that this has happened to me my whole life is because I'm biracial, um, because I'm light skinned, because for some folks, um, they feel like I have a level of, like they have a level of comfort with me, particularly when I was at home because they knew my parents. And so they knew like, like I, I would get told, oh, you're not black, black, like, you know, you, you're not all the way black. So like, it don't count as if like, I didn't feel or connect to black people. Right. Like, and I think the thing that really like keeps folks from wanting to to hear folks out, especially like our well-meaning our well-meaning liberal friends, um, is <laughs> is the fact that they'll be like, "Ooh, tell me, please, I want to know how I can get better." And then like five minutes into the conversation, it's like, "Well, I wouldn't do that," but but since I'm telling you that you did. Right. I'm racism, not telling you racism without racists, right? Right. Like I'm not telling, and I'm not telling you that you did it because, because that's the other thing. It is a white, like, since we're going to get into it, um, the, the, the pillars of white supremacy, right? Like, I don't know if you're familiar with like the actual characteristics of white supremacy. There's like a list of them. Mm -hmm. And, um, one of them is this, like the idea of perfectionism. So like, if you do a bad thing, you become a bad person. Right, right, right. Right. So like going into a, a space and saying like, this is the bad, these are the bad things that have happened. And I've watched this happen even with my mom. Like I've had these conversations with my mom. That does not mean I think my mom is a bad person. Like why would I, the person who gave me life, like I'm, I'm, you know, I like to think that I'm doing okay. Right. <laughs> like I, I don't, and I don't think she's a bad person. Did we make some bad choices? Have we all made some bad choices? Absolutely. But that doesn't make us bad people. And so having conversations with her about the way she used to talk about like black speech with me. I would come home from my dad's house and she would be like, like she would like go in on how I was talking. Particularly it was like finna, I'm not finna, I'm finna do this. And she'd be like, excuse me. And she would make me repeat it until I understood what she was, but that built into me that people yeah. who talk like that were stupid. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so having to tell her that as an adult, like this is what I learned. I know this isn't what you, and I remember saying, I know this isn't what you meant, but this is what I learned. And she was yeah. like, so I'm just sorry that you're just, you know, you say I'm a bad person. I'm like, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. So like getting out of the idea that somebody telling you that something that you did was hurtful means that they hate you or that yeah. you're a bad person. Like if we could just stop doing that, yeah, we would get so much further. Cause that's what keeps people of color from wanting to engage in the, like that's what makes it so exhausting is it's not that I can tell you about yourself. Cause I could do that, you know, for free. Right. Like, because all you gotta do is ask. It's the fact that I know that I'm going to have to hold your hand through your sadness of something that I have that I was deeply hurt by or deeply affected by and I've already had to move past it because you made me move past it when it yeah. happened 
right? Yeah. So now yeah. I have to come back and hold your hand through a situation I've already dealt with. Yeah, and it recenters re whiteness in the whole situation. Right, right, right. And but that's that's but that even in that is like a practice in you know big big construct, big you know studied concepts in white supremacy. So it hurts white people, right? Like white supremacy does not keep white people lifted up and make them feel good white supremacy hurts everybody and and that and that was and that was a big game changer for me you know in my growth and my identity development was realizing that like me being that's why i say like part of the reason that i want to do this podcast is help to alleviate the burden of my brothers and sisters who are people of color but it's that's part of it really like this is really about liberating white people from ourselves <laughs> you know part. what i mean and and that and that, that right there i think is something that takes a while for a lot of us to 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 get a hold of you know um i can resonate in in in, in a few different ways from a different angle with some of the stories that you shared being from Detroit and then leaving Detroit and moving into white anti-black spaces. Right. And I obviously was impacted and influenced by the culture back in Detroit, you know what I mean? And how culturally that stuff was sometimes subtly, sometimes overtly tried, was driven out of me by my peers, by elders, by teachers, by coaches, you know what I mean? By neighbors, all that stuff, you know, anything that I did that even remotely identified or remotely symbolized to them blackness. Oh, let's get this white boy right and get him back on track. Right. <laughs> you you know, that's, don't act like that. Don't talk like that. Why exactly, you say that? Exactly. Exactly. So they wouldn't have said it like that because that sounded more black than they would have said. But I'm sorry. <laughs> that, let me say that. You no. cannot talk that way, right. sir. Right. Right. But you know, and 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 it and that's and that's 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 deeply embedded you know what i mean how those white cultural norms get get reinforced you know what i mean as as superior and um yeah we could we could go all day you we know? surely yeah. could and, and from from and from my perspective um i i had a cuz i had a totally a totally different type of uh upbringing um you know of, of clearly than than you two um yeah I do you mean you weren't raised as, by white people no no <laughs> Funny story though, as 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 I was in the process of growing up, as I was growing up, like I was I was I was one of those kids who who kept their nose in the book. I was one of those kids who just did a lot, like read dictionaries, read anything I could get a hold of, right? Oh, some people told you you acted white. And so I was told by members of my family that I was told that like you out here reading and being and, and 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 learning stuff and you're talking white and you're doing every like, everything that you're doing is not black so that actually honestly that created like that that put me in a very awkward place as a kid mm -hmm. because i didn't even know what acting black was right like <laughs> like you know because you're talking to a person i grew up on the on the west side you know every all Everybody of my black. friends are all of my friends were black my the majority of my high school was my high school was 98 percent black Right. I didn't come into a like a, a white a space until white I went space. to college. Right. That sounds so. And cool. like, and, and and that's including teachers. Like, I I can count on one hand how many white teachers I've had in 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 in, in I guess grammar school. You talking about K K twelve? K through twelve. Yeah. Through K through twelve, I can count on one hand how many white teachers I've had. So so just coming up. I was looked at, I was always looked at as, as an outlier personally because I talked differently because I did a lot of things different. I wasn't, I wasn't the quote unquote 
person from the hood, you know? Like I was just a regular kid. As and if he wasn't that, from as if he wasn't a kid from the hood. Yeah, yeah. I was just a regular <laughs> kid. But because I was I I was kind of cut from a different from a different cloth than everyone, like I was consistently called white. Yeah. Like, but was, even that is part of white supremacy in yeah. the sense that like those like white supremacy is the way that I've described it when I've done things before is like it is a car at this point and it don't matter who's in the in the driver's seat like it's gonna go right like it doesn't matter if it's a black person if it's white the systems are already mm-hmm. there you know like there and there's so many systems that are built by black people even that are built by people of color that still run on white supremacy because that's all we know mm-hmm. like that's yeah. it you don't know anything else and it's not to say that the people who built those systems built them with the intention of keep, well some of them did some of them were very intentional about keeping white people at dominance right i don't think that that was true for every single system that's ever been built right every organization every company every school like that that hasn't been the the plan the whole time did it start that way in the beginning sure mm-hmm. right but that's part of it like these are the people who run our communities whether or not they live in them these are the people who have the power to put whatever they want to put on our television on our televisions even if they're not watching them with us mm-hmm. right like how many folks are are giving us technology and then saying that their own children can't use the technology that they're giving us like it's right. this is happening regardless yeah, yeah. so yeah and that's just proof of that like it's proof that like getting rid of and, and and like completely eviscerating that part of white culture um or american culture i would say because at this point it ain't really white culture it's everybody's culture um like white supremacy being like part of everybody's stuff right anti-blackness and white supremacy are everywhere they're not just in white spaces and part of getting rid of it is realizing that, like yeah. we all we all got to deal with this. I, I think part of that, and and we probably should close down here soon, because <laughs> or we'll have a, a two-hour uh, inaugural <laughs> episode. One of the things that I think you're getting at, Kay, is, and that we're experiencing right now with Trump and his ilk, is how much whiteness is wrapped up into the dominant perspective of what it means to be American. Yes. You know, and, and, if, think- and you can, we could go back historically to, you know, I always use this as an example, the, the Naturalization Act of 1790, right? That equated, it said, in order to be uh, naturalized as a citizen of the United States, you had to be a free white person. So right. it, it legally and politically equated being American to being white but you know and, and that's just the nerdy intellectual side of it right but it's, but, but it's but, not though because there's people who don't understand that that was a thing or who understand and think that those of us who weren't included in that because it didn't happen when we were alive don't care right and right. if it happened it didn't happen to our families it didn't happen to the people that we would love to know their ancestry and can't because they weren't considered people, right? Like all mm-hmm. of those things. I know you about to bring up something real specific and I just laid it out for you. I'm sorry, go you ahead. Did. You I'm, I'm gonna go get a refill. the day that um, when me and you were discussing our family trees. Yeah, yeah. And you have went on, you went to the website, clicked on a green leaf mm-hmm. and found out that like you're from like, you found like Irish kingdoms. yeah 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 i couldn't go past my grandfather right right i know remember because i actually set up a uh i set up a tree for you on my account and Mm -hmm. i said i was gonna try to do it and you're right i could not and 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 honestly that was the very first time and i know that like 
there I, I I've never I've I have never had any ill will towards you. But that was the very first time that I had like I was really pissed with your face on it. Mm-hmm. But it was I would like you you represented something that I would never be able to have. I get it. I get it. And um, which is the ability of clicking on something and seeing my entire lineage. Mm-hmm. And and I and 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 in my case, I can only go off. I we literally just like in just like in the just like in African nations, we our our history is literally told through the form of griots. Right. And, right. and and in a lot of sense that that's not fair at all, but you know that and unfortunately that's just kind of the cars that we've been dealt. You know I know uh, you know we could have a conversation about this all for hours upon hours upon days upon weeks months years, uh, but uh, you know unfortunately the show has to come to an end at some point in time. I guess just to wrap up, um, do you have any kind of final thoughts or things that you want to reflect back on in terms of what we've talked about or any questions to throw into the fold prior to us uh, parting ways here today? Um, I do because I would feel remiss if like the, the, the thought that was taken away from what I said was that like, yes, white supremacy is a part of all culture, but like let black folks handle what's happening in the black community. Like we got this, like there are black folks who see what's happening over here and we're planning on working on it. Um, and I feel like I didn't fully answer your question earlier when you asked like what can be done like white folks that are trying to do well like meaning well can do exactly what you're doing and they can they can turn that inward to whiteness like to other white people like don't come over to black folks and try to get us together right like or try to have us do like the emotional there's tons of people who are doing that work that you can pay like also pay for that work yeah like actually pay for that work pay for the webinars pay for the books because those are the people who are saying i am willing to do this for you do not go to your black friend right and say hey make this make sense for me because they're not paying you're not paying them and your friendship is not payment enough as much as people feel like you know this is my friend and they want to help me that's true but like you might be the one white person in their life that they don't have to question that for you might be the one person in, in, in their life that they don't have to have that conversation with. And that honestly is a game changer. Yeah. Like not having to go to your black, like your black friends being like, don't come to me. Like, cause that, cause like, imagine how hard it is for a black person that wants you to understand these things. Right. But wants you to, to understand it on your own. Like, I don't want to have to share, because the idea and the concept that Black people have been sharing their pain in order for white people to understand for years, for decades, for centuries, is, is starting to come to a close. Like, Black folks are no longer willing to put their emotional pain on display for white folks to see them as human, because that's what it's taken for a long time, right? Like, we've had to have the grotesque images of, like, Emmett Till and you know, present day George, like we've had to have those in order for white folks to make it make sense to them. And we are coming to a point in the black community where like, we don't want to do that. Like folks don't want to do that anymore. I'm not going to say all of us, but like people don't want to engage in that anymore. Like you should be able to look at me and see that I work the same job as you. I do the same thing as you. Therefore I am human as you are. And when I hurt, you should be able to understand that. I shouldn't have to videotape it in order for you to understand my page. Yeah. And so I think if white folks really want to do something like once they get a grasp, start talking to your white friends about it. 
right? Tri like have those conversations about why they're really supporting Trump, why they're really supporting the conservative issues that are not necessarily conservative in nature, but are actually rooted in racism, right? Like once you discover those things, like what you are doing is what white people can do, right? Like you're talking to folks to understand, but not to say, teach me how it is, right? Like you, you didn't come to us and say, and you know, let me know, lay this out for me, tell me your stories, right? You came to, you came to us and was like, okay, let's have a conversation about this and I know race is gonna come up.